everyone. You're listening to Little Bit of Life Podcast with Little. This podcast is dedicated to having the real, raw, and the occasional ridiculous chats about everything that we seem to think but don't say. Very little is off limits. Sit back, enjoy, and let's get started. Today's episode is sponsored by Combat Beauty's Apparel. Remember, you are the lyric, melody, beat to a song unwritten, and you are the awaiting solution to a problem. Remember, you are the loudest voice in the room. Make sure to check them out in support of military and veteran sexual assault advocacy programs, and make sure to order on combatbeautiesapparel.com. What I've learned is that we cannot continue to do what other people want us to do. We can't continue to try to make other people happy. You have to do you first. You have to make you happy first. If all you do things that make other people happy, then you're going to be miserable and you're not going to get anywhere. Continue to do you and focus on you first. Hey guys, and welcome into yet another amazing episode of Little Bit of Life Podcast with Little. As you know from my TikTok platform, anything and everything with mental health awareness and with veterans, we are going to dive into that today. I have an amazing guest with me. You might have seen him on TikTok. It is Sir Veteran Guy. Yeah, you've seen him. You've seen all those videos pop up. His name is Sean. He is not only a veteran himself, a podcaster, a mindset coach, and an author. Is there anything that this man does not do? So we are so honored to have him on the podcast today. I will link his podcast as well in the bio, so you guys can make sure to check him out too. And it's an amazing quote that he always has, turning messes into a message. So Sean, how are you? I'm so glad to have you on today. Hey, what's going on? Hey, it's great to be here as well. Doing well. We got through the little technical issue, but we're good. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yes. It's, it's always something or other, but I'm so honored that uh, you reached out and we have you on today's podcast. I always state that with us as podcasters, we're never against each other. We're always with each other and we always have the same vibe out there. We deal with mental health awareness. We deal with anything from um, 22 a day, PTSD and addiction. So let's dive in. Tell listeners your story. Okay. Well, um, I'll, you know, I know I can make it very long, but um, I'll make it, you know, where you guys understand, but at the same time, kind of brief. Um, just to go back a little bit as a child, you know, I, uh, I started as a child with mental health, right? I was diagnosed with ADHD, ADD. Uh, my mother was an alcoholic. My dad was in the military, you know, 22 years, very violent man, very abusive man to my mother. Um, you know, my mother, she loved me, but she was just very, I don't know. She'd been through a lot and she was very, just, she was more mentally abusive to me and my brother. Um, and she used the ADHD thing as, here, take your medicine because, um, I'm not good enough. I'm stupid. I'm not going to be successful because I can't sit down and focus and concentrate and all that stuff. Like she used my ADD sort of like a crutch to make me feel like I was not good enough. I needed my medicine. And that really was just because she had such bad nerves. I, I was hyper, right. And she couldn't handle me. So at a very early age, I, I started seeing what mental health was about. My mother was already diagnosed with PTSD. Well, she was never diagnosed, but we know she had PTSD from abuse and my dad, very abusive and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So even at an early, early age, um, struggle with mental health. Um, as I was going into my teenage years, I was very violent, uh, hung out with a lot of bad people, you know, misguided, going to juvenile hall, being arrested probably at least 40 something times in my life. 
you know, hanging with gangs and just really out of control. Um, I always tell people, if you want an example, think about the cash me outside girl, but as a boy version, I was just really out of control. I was terrible. Um, I think I was just trying to find acceptance and love and just trying to find that missing link. I didn't have at home. And uh, Mm -hmm. so that was my life for a very long time through my teenage years. Um, Very violent, you know, looking basically, I I know I shouldn't have went to prison, but I know that was my life headed to prison. Like I went to jail, juvie, 17 years old. I got locked up as an adult and I spent 60 days in jail getting ready to go to prison. But thank God, you know, it just didn't work out that way. Um, So, you know, that was my life for a very long time. I call it the crime life. I was living as a criminal and, you know, ended up having some kids and got married and, um, I never really thought about the military because when you're a military brat, you don't really think about the military. Well, I didn't. And a lot of friends didn't either. Cause we're so used to it, you know, and seeing what my dad went through and him gone all the time. Like I never seen the good parts of the military. We always seen, you know, the, 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 the dysfunction at home, you know, the alcohol, the abuse, my dad gone all the time. My dad used to say, if the military wanted you a family, they would have issued you one. Like that was his mentality. Um, old school army. And uh, so I never really thought about the military, but I dropped out of high school. I didn't have any education. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, life went on for a while, a couple years, and 9-11 happened. And when that happened, kind of like I remember working at a meat company plant, and I was just in there delivering food and making a living, you know, living a regular wage. And every day I'd come home, I'd watch the war on Iraq because they would actually show it on TV at that time. You could actually see what was going on in Iraq. And I remember having these feelings like, man, I would like to be there. I would like to, you know, because at that time, America came together and it was just like, wow, we were all patriots. We were all Americans. And it was just something that I don't know. I think most people joined because of that. Well, anyways, a couple of years went by, um, got my life together a little bit, really wasn't living much of a crime life, but I decided to join the military. I wanted to go active duty army, but at this point I had already had three kids that had already had. And I knew how the military life was and me and the kid's mother was separated. So I was like, well, you know, I don't want to go active duty cause I'm not going to be here for my kids thinking I'd join national guard and I'd be home more. Well, we'll, we'll find out that that's not exactly true, but, but that was my thought process. So I decided to join the national guard and met a recruiter. My recruiter was amazing. Um, you know, I didn't do real well in my ASFAB, but I did want to be, in the fight. So I became a combat engineer, a 12 Bravo and very proud of that. Um, but I don't know. He was a really great guy. He, he did it. I had tattoos. I had, you know, a criminal record. I had, I had so many waivers and he really worked with me with that. And he made sure that I got in. So he was very proud. Even today, he still goes and talks to other people and he'll say, Oh, I got this recruit that I got in that, you know, he's one of my favorite guys. So, you know, he still talks about me because I was such a hard person to get in, but yet I was determined and did everything I had to do to get in. I put 110% in. I got all my tattoos that were gang related anything that was not you know approved by the military i got it um covered up so i did everything i could to join the military i joined in 2004 um got to fort Leonardwood, did my thing um and just to go back a little bit with my dad you know with the mental health thing this is an example of how bad he was he used to say things to me like oh you're gonna join the army oh well you're not gonna make it well, hey i gotta bet that he'll be back in a couple weeks right like i'm not gonna get through basic i'm not disciplined enough 
Um, you know, I was going to fight the drill sergeants, pretty much bet that I wasn't going to make it. And the whole time through basic training AIT, that's where my mindset was. And I was like, you know what? I am not going to fail. And I used his hate and his doubt as fire. And I used that as fuel for the fire. And I just, I worked my butt off and uh, ended up graduating almost top of my class in the PT. Um, and I was 24 years old, by the way. I went in at 24. And so I was in there with a bunch of 18 year olds and I was running circles around them. So I worked my butt off and, um, and ended up graduating, got through AIT, got through all that. And I was in a unit in South Carolina, 2007 comes wrong. So this is 2004, 2005, and then 2006 comes around and I get orders to go to Iraq. And so I'm all preparing for Iraq. I'm really ready to go. And at the last minute, the last 30 days, they changed my orders to Afghanistan and I go to Afghanistan, um, seven and eight. I do my tour. It's not too bad. You know, there was a lot of things that happened, you know, uh, I don't talk too much about some of the stuff I've seen, but the first, I'll say this, the first three days in country on my first tour, we had a suicide bomber go off in town and, uh, I was the second vehicle back. So that was the eye opener. Then I was just like, Holy crap. You know, um, mm -hmm. it was pretty bad, but I wasn't even a 12 Bravo at the time. Like I, my MOS was a 12 Bravo, but I was a, a filler for an 88 mic job. So I was actually driving trucks. So I was just there to fill another position. Um, I, I got through about nine months. My wife ended up the, my new wife, I didn't talk about it, but I got married and got a divorce real quick with my three previous kids and then got remarried. And, um, she ended up having my son and there was a, no, my, excuse me, my daughter, uh, my son was already born. So I had four kids at this time, but one by her. And then my daughter was being born. So it's been five kids, but two by her and my daughter was being born and there was emergency was happening. Something was going on with her and the baby. So they sent me home and there was only a few months left. So I just stayed, um, got through that deployment. My mindset was all right. I didn't go through a whole lot of struggle at the time. I think that there was a lot of, I don't know, there was some situations that I struggled with that, that like, you know, maybe PTSD, but it wasn't, it wasn't at that level yet. Right. Um, I think I was just dealing with it. I was in the military and I wasn't going, you know, so anyways, time goes on and I get my orders again. I get orders again to go to Afghanistan and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Right. Like I'm ready because I had to leave a little bit early for the first one. So let me just go back the second time. And the second one, I'm going in as a 12, bar, a 12 Bravo. So I'm doing my job. So my whole unit that I deploy with, um, they've never been to Afghanistan. They've all done Iraq. And so I actually got to teach these guys a lot about Iraq, uh, about Afghanistan, give them some lessons, you know, tell them about the terrain, you know, about the people and just kind of I played a real vital role. And so I was really excited about going. Um, like I said, my first tour wasn't terrible, so I wasn't really expecting terrible again, um, which mm -hmm. was a big mistake because I was going in as a 12 Bravo, which is route clearance now. So I'm doing a whole different job. Um, and that is in 2010 and 11 deployment. So mm -hmm. I get back in 2008 and then I deploy again in 2010. So then I go to Sharana, Afghanistan and I'm there as route clearance and I'm not going to get too much detail, but it was a very, 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 very hard tour. Um, we lost people. We lost brothers. We've, I, I was hit by IEDs, um, a lot of firefights, like it was combat and it was combat mm -hmm. and it was, it was rough. Um, it went on for a long time. Uh, again, I made it to about nine months and I ended up getting injured myself. I jumped off the, I jumped off my Husky 
during a dismount, we were, it was like we were taking a break and I jumped off my Husky and I had all that crap on me, all that gear. And I jumped off my Husky to go use the bathroom or something. And when I jumped off, I landed wrong. And then I landed in a ditch and I ended up tearing my ACL and I tore my meniscus in half. Um, Mm. And let's just say, yeah, that was, that was painful. Um, And I couldn't even drive back. I had to sit back in the RG and they had to take me to the medic unit when I got to the base uh, or to the FOB. And when I got there, my knee was literally no exaggeration about that big around. It was like a melon. Um, Mm -hmm. I knew something wasn't right. I knew something wasn't right. Um, and so obviously the medic right away started handing me Percocets and he's like, here, man, take these. And I was like, I've never taken those before. Um, one, it killed the pain, but two, I love the way it made me feel. So I was like, holy crap, man, like this is good. So at that time I started popping Percocets and I was just trying to get through the deployment. I, I, I ended up spending many of weeks just doing like guard duty and, and hanging out in the talk and just trying to stay there with my guys. Um, Mm -hmm. long story short, I was on the way to chow hall one day and I had already talked to commander and he asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I just want to stay. We've got a few months left and then I'll, you know, we didn't know what was wrong. Um, he ended up seeing me fall. So once he saw me fall, he was like, uh, he was like, Hey, come see me, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He's like, Hey, we're going to send you to guitar. We're going to get an MRI. We're going to find out what's going on with your leg. And then if it's serious, then we'll get surgery or whatever needs to be done. So that's what I did. I flew out to guitar. I had MRI done. As soon as it was over, the ladies walked up to me. She was like, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but your ACL is completely tore and your meniscus is completely tore. She goes, I don't know what you did to your leg, but it's tore. She said, so you are finished. And I was like, Oh my God. Like it just, it felt like a weight just coming down on me. Like I, I could not believe what just happened. And, um, they told me I was going to have to have surgery. I was gonna have reconstructive surgery, all that stuff. So I go back to the, I go back to Afghanistan. I talk to the commander. Um, and we literally have like three months left and he's like, you know, why don't you just go back to the States, have your surgery and then just prepare for the next deployment. Because there was already talk about us doing a peacekeeping mission at this time. In 2013, we were going to do Kosovo. And I'm like, yeah, right? Like, let's do it. Like, you know, two two combat tours. Let me go do a peacekeeping mission in Russia. Like, how you know, I'm ready. So that was my mindset, man. I was going to Fort Gordon. That's where I got stationed. They had this place called the WTU, the Wounded Transition Unit. And that's where all of the soldiers that, that were in the Army that got injured from blast you know, medical, mental, whatever, they all went to this base and it's kind of like watery, but it was Mm -hmm. Fort Gordon, Georgia. So anybody that was injured got fixed and either they went home or they got med boarded, whatever happened. So my whole plan was to get to Fort Gordon, get my surgery and roll out and go back to my unit. So again, long story short, I ended up getting there around 2011. Well, at the end of 2010, December, um, goes into 2011, have my surgery in, in February. And mind you, at this time, I've been eating painkillers like candy because I'm already getting kind of addicted to them. And mm-hmm. I have my surgery. I'm supposed to be doing physical therapy, all this other stuff. I'm still eating painkillers. And at this point, I find myself really being addicted to them. Like now I'm starting to lie. I'm starting to doctor kind of lied to the doctors a little bit. Oh, I need my painkillers. You know, I'm doing this, making all these excuses. Um, at the time I didn't think of anything, but that I was just like, cause if I didn't take them, I found myself being sick. 
And so I had to just start taking them. Um, at the same time, I started seeing other doctors because you got to think I'm at a med unit now. And so they're like, hey, we want you to start talking to therapists. We want you to start talking to counselors, start talking to these doctors and stuff. And mind you, I knew that there was something wrong because I was having nightmares. I was feeling really weird. Like I just knew something wasn't right. I was always feeling shaky. I was always like there was things wrong with me and I just couldn't figure it out. Um, and I tried to be real with the doctors, man. I tried to be real and tell them things that was going on with me. But instead of them really helping me, they started giving me medicine. And so they were like, here, take this pill, take this pill, take this pill. And I ended up taking no lie. You can even listen. I ended up being prescribed over 16 different medications while I was there. I had 16 different medications, one for every symptom, all the way from not being able to sleep to not being able to eat to anxiety, depression, every symptom I had, I had a pill for on top of my opiates. And then I started taking Xanax because that was helping me stay calm. So then I got hooked on Xanax. So now I'm over here abusing painkillers on top of my uh, benzodiazepine on top of 15 other pills like lithium and geodon and Effexor and just all these crazy amount of pills that was making me feel crazy myself. Like I was losing my mind, you know, being away from my family, being away from my troops, being stuck in this medical unit for already like seven, eight months at this point, um, mm -hmm. hoping to trying to get out. So my whole life was just crashing down, not knowing what was going on. I finally fell into this routine where I just wake up every day, take pills, uh, get high and just deal with it. Um, mm -hmm. Time started going on, started talking to more doctors. Then they started diagnosing me. With, oh, well, you got major PTSD. Now you got major depression. Now you have this. Now you have anxiety. You have schizophrenic disorder. Like they gave me almost seven different diagnoses. And they were like, um, so this is already going on about a year now. So they go, oh, well, we think it's best that you just go ahead and get out of the service. We think that we should just go ahead and get you to the VA. You know, we'll get you a rating. You try to make it seem like it was all, you know, hey, you're going to get you 100%. You're going to be good. You're going to be set. You know, get your help that you need, man. Uh, you did your time. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and I fought it for a little while. I talked to my family and I was complaining. I was like, dude, I don't want to do this. I don't want to. I don't want to get out. I don't want to get out because mm -hmm. um, I had a passion for it. You know, I wanted to be a lifer. That was my purpose. And obviously throughout the drugs and the, and the alcohol drinking all the time and taking all this stuff, I was losing my mind. And I don't know, I'm missing my family. And I think I've, they finally convinced me to, to go ahead and agree, I guess, you know, cause they were going to do it anyways, but I just, to make it easier. Okay. I agree. Whatever. Let's just, mm -hmm. let's just get out. Two years go by. I ended up staying at this unit for two years. They did all my VA stuff. They did everything. They got my rating. They got everything. I'm now a disabled veteran. I get out in October 2012, right? And yay, my new life. I get to go home and, you know, after two years. And it's just anybody that's ever been down this road can imagine. You know, I got home miserable. First of all, mm -hmm. I was miserable uh, trying to find purpose again. I was already a drug addict. So now, you know, I go to my first VA appointment and she sees the list of medications I'm on. And she's like, holy crap. She's like, are you taking all of this? And I'm like, I sure am. She's like, uh, well, what about this one? <laughs> and it's the painkiller. How about this one? 
How about the, 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 the Xanax? Are you still taking that? And I'm like, of course, right. Those are my two favorite <laughs> two that I need. And, uh, so you can take the rest, just leave me those two. And, uh, she's like, well, I can't subscribe both of those prescribe both of those to you. She said, because you're going to kill yourself. I'm like, what are you talking about? Not letting her know that literally at Fort Gordon, nobody ever knew this, but I had OD'd like three times in the base, but I was too scared to go to my first sergeants because they would have, you know, they could have, they wouldn't have helped me. They would have given me a article 15 or something like that. It would have been dramatic. Mm -hmm. So I was just scared of losing my benefits. So I never said nothing. My brothers just made me eat bread and make me throw up and stuff. Um, but anyways, so yeah, that was going on and, um, she ended up taking one of my meds from me and I knew that I needed my anxiety medicine cause I literally was losing my mind. I was like freaking out. I was having panic attacks. Like the benzo was really helping me, but the painkillers was just keeping me from being sick. So I said, you know what? I'll just take the, the benzos. So she took away my pain meds, even though she knew that I was on them for over two years. I thought I could get through it, but I couldn't. I got home that day and I was sick and I was freaking out and I didn't know what to do. So I started searching for them and I went on the streets and I started finding people that sold them and I started buying them on the streets, which ended up turning into buying more and more and more. Then I started buying, you know, groups of it and a big handfuls of it and, and ended up using almost 160 milligrams a day of, of finding different types, Roxy's and fentanyl and, you know, I was chewing fentanyl patches. I was eating fentanyl. I was taking so much opiates. I should be dead right now. Um, it was bad. It was bad. I even started going to heroin because somebody told me, hey, heroin's the same thing. But I was always scared to shoot it. So I always just snort it up because I was what you call a snorter. I like to crush things and snort it up. So anyways, that went on. That was my life. Destroying my marriage, out of control, being violent, fighting people. I got arrested. Um, you know, I've been robbed. I almost got killed, had guns pulled on me. Like this was my life. Like, I don't know what the hell I was doing, but I had literally lost everything that I, everything, all my training, my whole life kind of went back to reverting back to a teenager. But at the same time, I was just living the street life and I was destroying everything about me and my family. And it caused huge problems in my marriage. Um, so time's going on. <clears throat> I did go to rehab. But that didn't work because everybody was like, hey, you need to go to rehab. I'm done with you. I'm leaving you. It's over. We're like, I'm sick of this life. And I'm like, OK, well, I'll go to rehab. Went to rehab for 30 days and that didn't last but maybe two weeks because I started saying things like, oh, I'll do once a week or I'll do once every so on and it'll be fine. But it wasn't. I just went, I went back into it 10 times worse because now I was hiding it. And when yeah. you start hiding it, you make it way worse. Um, so I was no longer nodding off. Now I was just snorting the stuff to get like this rush. And so I'm trying to play it off like I wasn't being, you know, but when you see thousands of dollars missing, you know that you, what you're doing. Um, that went on a long time and 2016 came around my best friend Barrero, who actually served with in Fort Gordon. He was actually a lot like me going through struggle. You know, he had to like five deployments. Um, he was from Puerto Rico. He was a great guy. And he struggled with suicidal tendencies. He struggled with addiction and everything. I watched the man try to kill himself twice. He jumped off the second store building uh, and had a sheet tied around his neck, tied to a chair. And as, as he was getting ready to jump over, one of the one of the guys pulled him back. And then the second time he took a pair of scissors and cut himself up so bad that he had over like 90 staples in his body. Like this guy was determined to go. 
and mm-hmm. you know they would send us to the seventh floor they would send us to the seventh floor and then you would get there and they would ask you are you okay are you ready to go are you good and you just tell them yeah and they'll let you out three days later and i knew yep. something i knew he wasn't right i knew he wasn't right but anyways i finally go home 2012 he goes home 2013 we talk a little bit we keep in ta- in, in contact you know he's in puerto rico so it's a little hard to, but we mm-hmm. still talk on messenger and stuff well, I remember it was around September, I reached out to him and I was like, hey, man, I haven't heard from you. Wow, how's things going? And he wrote back and he was like, hey, man, you know, I'm doing all right, blah, blah, blah. Well, was, I said, well, I don't remember what the conversation was, but I was like, hey, I'll hit you up next week. And he's like, OK, cool. I said, let's plan something. He's like, all right. Um, I hit him up next week. He never answered me. A day went by, two days went by, three days went by, no answer. The fourth day came by, September the 26th. His daughter, Elena, reaches out to me and she says, hey, you've been trying to reach my dad. And I was like, yeah, where's he at? She goes, well, can you guess? And I go, what do you mean? What's wrong? She said, he's dead. I said, what do you mean he's dead? She said he killed himself. She said, you know how he did it? And I said, I have no idea. What was it? Did he drink and drive? Was it had to do with drinking? She goes, I don't know, but he hung himself and I found him. So she was just hurt. She was she was angry. But she was hurt and it was just in my whole world. I I just didn't know what to do at this point. I was just like, oh, my like it hit me like I was numb. I didn't even know how to react to this. It was just, you know, at this point, I'm used to death. I'm used to trauma. I'm used to all this stuff. And I'm just like, I don't even know what to do at this point. But I really did start spiraling down worse. Uh, it, It made me worse. It made me angry. I was pissed off at him and I was mad. And I was just like, I, I don't know. I was scared because I knew I was headed to the same destruction. Cause I was thinking these same thoughts a lot of times, a lot of times I, I'm not good enough. I'm a veteran, but here I am being a drug addict. I'm a junkie. I've destroyed my marriage, blah, 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 blah. Like just all these negative thoughts in my life was just going on and on and on and on self-doubt, self-pity, victim mentality, all of that. And I felt sorry for myself. And it went on for a, a good while. And it went on for another two years, um, another two years, 2017 come around, I decided that, I mean, I started doing research after Barrero took his life and I started just messing around with the computer, messing around with Facebook type stuff, you know, making posts, just kind of reading up. And I started seeing these big numbers, 22. And I'm like, what, and this is in 2017, 16. I said, what is 22? Like, I never heard of it. Green up, light up your house with a green light for 22. Like, I just didn't know what it was. So I started researching it and found out that was like an average number of veterans that were taking their life every day. It was 22. And it was mind blowing to think that that was that many veterans. You know, when you start adding that up, they're like, holy crap, that's, that's, that's more than we lose in combat. Like we're losing more veterans to suicide than we are in combat. So I started seeing that. And I was like, you know what? I want to create something, even though I'm struggling now, like I'm on drugs, like I'm killing myself, but I'm still had this thought of helping others. And so I said, I want to create this group called Vet Life for Life. And I'm going to build this little group on Facebook just to have people come and, you know, maybe just talk and, and have like a resources. So that went on for a little while in 2017. I wasn't really active. I didn't really do videos or anything. Um, going into 2018, this is when my life starts really changing. Uh, I, I thought about taking my own life. Um, I was, I pretty much hit the worst point that there was. I was at the, I, I was just at the rock bottom. Um, I was sick. I had no money. I done lost everything. Uh, my wife was ready to leave. I don't even know how she hadn't left yet, but she was ready to leave. Um, 
I was, like I said, sick. I had no money. Um, I ended up snorting a line of crystal meth for the first time ever, just because I was so sick that I was trying to figure a way to, to not be sick. And that did nothing for me, but put me into a deep depression so deep that I would, that I was literally ready to kill myself at that moment. Like it, it was so scary to say, like, you know how you hear people that kill them, kill themselves. And it's like, man, how do you know? Cause it takes a lot of courage to do that. Like, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Like, just to pull the trigger, it's, it, it, that's not just something you can do that's easy to do, um, yeah. is what I mean by that. And so, because there's been multiple times I wanted to do it, but I was just, I didn't do it because I just, like, I didn't have the guts to do it, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. But at that moment, I was ready. Something came over me. I was so depressed. And that's why it's scary because I know what these people go through. Like, it's no longer them. They're just like, I'm done. I'm yeah. done. And I was done. And so I went and I had rope. I had a box. I had everything. I picked, the, I picked a tree out in the backyard. I was going to hang myself that night. 100%. I said, I even had a plan because I didn't want to mess for my wife to clean up. I didn't want to shoot myself. I just wanted to make it easy. Cut me out the tree, throw me in a box and I'm done. I didn't think about my kids. I didn't think about any of that stuff. I was just so done with my life. I was so done with being a failure. I was so done of feeling like, a junkie and a loser. And I was just done um, to get to the end of the story about why I didn't do it. It's because I had a battle buddy and it was, he called me up one day, but he kept calling me, he kept calling me, kept calling me. And after the sixth time he called me, I finally answered the phone. And this is during like the process of me just kind of sitting on a step, like just thinking about when I was going to do it. And He's like, bro, what's going on with you, man? I said, like, what are you talking about? He's like, I've called you and called you, da, 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 da. You know, he's been calling me for days too, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm just like, something told me to answer. So I answered the phone and he's like, bro, I'm so worried about you. What's going on? He's like, I know there's something not right. You know, I think I might've made a crazy post or something. I don't know. He was doing a battle buddy check is what we call. And mm -hmm. I just... I don't know, man. I opened up and I started talking to him and I started crying. And then he's just like, he's not even being emotional with me. He's like yelling at me, like, get your head out your ass, dude. He's like, you're a veteran. You're this and that. You're the only one that can change your life. It's up to you to start making the change. He's like, blah, 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 blah. he's like, dude, he's like, I swear to God, bro. He's like, I'm about to call home and welfare check on you. Like, I'm not messing with you, man. He's like, we're getting you help. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know what it was about that conversation, but it just kind of something triggered. It's almost like I woke up and I just looked at my life and I was like, why am I doing this stuff? Like, what the heck is wrong with me? You know, this is like 10 years now. And um, so I didn't kill myself. Obviously, I went to bed that night sick, didn't buy any drugs, went to bed sick. I prayed to God that night and I just prayed to myself and I was just asking God to please help me. Please help me. I, I'm done. I'm at the bottom. I don't know what else to do. Um, please give me the strength. Please just give me the strength to what, do whatever it is I need to do. I woke up the next day. This is like day four. Uh, well, day, yeah, almost. It's about day four of detoxing, sick. And instead of me jumping in my truck like I normally would and go find some drugs or find money, something came over me to go to my wife and say, I need help. I need help. I, I need help. And I'm serious. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me.
Like, I need this. And so we searched around. We got on the phone. She started calling all kinds of places. We found a place that would take me the very next day. And I went to detox. Ten days I spent in detox. And then right after I got out of detox, I signed up with the program called IOP, which was Intensive Outpatient Treatment Center. And I stayed there for another six months doing four hours a day, four days a week at four hours per class. So I was there like 16 hours a week, just doing counseling, doing therapy and really, and I was really enjoying it, man. Got my chips, got everything. I went in, I was, I was having fun. I was getting my life back. I was getting my life Mm -hmm. back. And at the same time I was working on my vet life for life group. I was helping people. And then as soon as I got done, I started making videos and I was like, if you're struggling with drugs, I, you could get clean. Like I got clean. Like I was just so motivated. I was so happy with, with me finally being clean and sober that I wanted to tell the world that, that you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. And that's what I did. I started making videos on Facebook and going live on Facebook and people were just coming in, attracting to me like flies. It was crazy. And all the support, my group hit like four or 5,000 followers. It was blowing up. It was growing. And I started being invited to speaking events. I went to Washington, D.C. I went to Ohio. I went to North Carolina, Florida, Texas. Like I just started traveling, speaking and telling my story. And but I wasn't done there. I wanted to do more. I wanted to find a solution. So I decided to write a book. I said, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to call it Veteran Mindset 2.0. And I'm not going to it's not going to be a book about my life. It's going to be a book about how I got to where I'm at and what were the stages that I did that. And that's what I did. I created like a workbook. I created five chapters that talks about the five ways to get to the next level. And then I even have affirmations in it. I have practicals in it. I have a workbook in the back. Like I put so much work and hard work in that thing that it took almost a year to write a 120 page book just because of my ADD and everything else. But I really focus and I put everything into it and it became a bestseller, became a bestseller. It became a bestseller in the first week. Um, So it was a new bestseller. And then I hit two different categories as a bestseller. So that's flying off the chart still. And I was like, I still want to do more. So I opened up a podcast uh, from struggles to success. Cause I wanted to hear people's stories, not just, not just the, the success stories. I wanted to hear stories like you just heard from me. I wanted to hear what it took to get to the top. I want to hear the grind. I want to hear the pain and the struggle and how'd you get from that to where you are now. So I did that. And long story short, I lost my Facebook account. So I jumped on TikTok to try it out, which I'm at 300,000 followers now almost. And so that blew up. And then I got my Facebook back and now I'm almost at 40,000 followers on Facebook. So that blew up. So I'm like, holy crap, this is truly like my calling. And I couldn't believe that, that that's what happened. That's my journey. That's my story. You know, that's, you know, without going into every little detail, but that's basically from what I went through as a child to why I became Sean, the veteran guy. Hmm. (laughs) It sounds like there was never an easy way for you. There was never an easy out. There was never an easy path. Um, I did an episode talking about childhood trauma and it's who do we choose to become as an adult? Because what happens to us as children most often drives us and fuels the fire in us. Like you said, of I'm going to prove everyone wrong. And it sounded like when you hit the very bottom, it was, this isn't quite yet the bottom and I'm going to prove them wrong. I want more. I'm hungry for more. 
And I can say I'm amazed at your story because there were so many opportunities that you could have just given up because it would have been the easy way out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought about it. Like you said, like I said, many a times, but like you said, mm-hmm. I just, I wanted to prove, like I did, I had, I wanted to prove to a lot of people, but I also wanted to prove to my haters. I wanted to prove to my doubters and I wanted to prove to my family. And I also wanted to just show people that it can be possible. You know, I made a mm-hmm. post one day that said, somebody asked me, how'd you be, how'd you get in recovery? How did you get clean from drugs and alcohol? And they want a direct answer. And I said, you want a direct answer? I wanted it. I wanted it. (laughs) If you want it, you can make it happen. You know, there's too many people making excuses that, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that. It's too hard. Well, if it's, if it was easy, it wouldn't be worth it. You know, being hard is, if it's hard, you're on the right path. Yeah. And we call it that transition period of you're letting go of what your life used to be. And you're looking at what your new life can be, but the transition portion, it's not meant to be pretty. It's meant to be ugly. It's meant to be hard. It's meant to pull all of those emotions and memories and trauma because it is trauma that you go through that makes you come out on the other side. And we talk about this a lot on the podcast with veterans that are active, disabled, retired, all in between. The medicine is available so easily and is handed out like candy that it causes people to have this addiction problem. And then you just spiral out of control with things that you never thought you'd have to suffer with. And most people who don't have experience with the veteran community, they're like, well, just stop taking it. It's not that easy. When you're given it in mass amounts, Mm -hmm. it's nearly impossible because you're already hooked because, oh, well, you have a headache. Like you said, take this. Oh, you're tired. Mm -hmm. Take this. Oh, you have this side effect from 500 different medications. So take this. So you're just like a hamster in a wheel. You can never get out of it. Taking medicine that's giving you side effects to take medicine. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy. And then you take, and they're like, well, why don't you just stop the painkillers? I'm like, well, that's the only one that's making me feel right. Like at some point mm-hmm. they don't understand if you've never been through addiction, they don't understand that you do it because you're not in the mindset of getting clean or getting sober. Or, you know, you're in the mindset of, I just want to get better. And when you're sick and you're throwing up and your stomach hurts and all this crap, you know, you don't feel normal. I remember saying numerous times, I just want to feel normal. I need to feel normal. I need, I, can I just get a pill? Cause I need to feel normal, you know, cause mm-hmm. I need to feel normal. And until I wanted change. It didn't happen. Yeah. When veterans come home, we always call it, Oh, we'll just find, just find your new normal. And when you're gone and you're on deployment, life does not stop when you're gone. So when you come home, you're learning where you fit And you come back a completely different person. Then you add medication on top of that. And you're like, like you said, oh, I want to be normal. You'll never have that sense of normalcy that you had before you left because you come back a completely different person. And so many people don't understand that. And that's what leads into the mental health. And the more we make it acceptable socially to talk about it, the more people will feel like, I love what you're doing out there. It's you're not alone. And everyone feels almost secluded of, well, what is wrong with me? I'm broken. I'm defeated. But there's so many other people out there that are struggling with this. So the more we make it socially acceptable to talk about, especially in the veteran community, you're raised to, you know, you're just in this mindset and you're warped of, I can't show weakness. I can't display anything is wrong with me. If I have these feelings, I just need to keep pushing them down and just keep moving ahead. And when these men and women come home, that's not an option anymore. Oh, you're absolutely right about the whole point of, of being, um, 
not the same person. That was like the biggest thing that I hear from everybody and from family members. And even you hear from your wife or your mother or your cousins or your friends. It's like, yeah, you're definitely not the same person. And it took me time to actually look back. Like today I can look back and go, wow, I really ain't the same person. Like I'm so different now. It's, it's almost mm-hmm. scary with all the struggle and everything I've been through, but it's, it's weird. Like I even ask people sometimes like, how was I back then? Like what, what, you know, cause I don't remember. Like, it's just, it's almost like that person never existed anymore. It's like, I've always just been this person. Of course, through drug addiction, you have a lot of blackout moments. So for 10 years, I really don't remember hardly anything. Um, yeah. A lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of self-doubt and a lot of uh, victim mentality. I blamed a lot of people for a long time. You know, this is God's fault. This is the military's fault. This is the, you know, and regardless, even if I, even if, they never, you know, even I, like, I don't blame the doctors. I would never point my finger at them. You know, I was the one that was going to him, craving the medication and begging the medication and, oh, I need it. Cause I'm in this pain. Like, you know, maybe he had a job to do, but at the same time, you know, I was a hurt soldier and he was trying to make me feel better. So I, you know, I don't blame all the doctors, you know, and I don't blame anybody anymore. Back then I did. Oh, it's your fault. You're the reason why I'm here because you gave me all of this. No, I made a choice. I made a choice and I abused that mm-hmm. choice and it put me where I am. You know, nobody wants to be an addict. Nobody wants to be a drug addict. You don't just wake up one day and smoke a crack pipe and think, oh, well, I'm happy to be a drug addict. Like if you've never been in an addict, you don't understand what it's like to be an addict. You know, it just, it's like alcoholics. You know, mm-hmm. you, some people can drink. Like I try to explain to people like, okay, imagine an alcoholic. So some people can have a a six pack a day and they do it by choice. Like they really do it by choice. Like if they want to just, okay, well, I'll drink next week. They can, but imagine craving that every single day. And if you don't get that, it's like a cigarette, you know, it's like you're irritable, you're pissed off, you're sick, you're nauseated, you're not normal. You don't feel normal. So as soon as you take that swig, okay, now I'm, now I'm ready to go. Now I feel normal again. That's how I was with painkillers and Mm -hmm. and Xanax and stuff. It was terrible, terrible. I'm completely going to put you on the spot because this is just, this is just what I do. Mm -hmm. So we keep using the word normal. Yeah. When you have gone through everything that you've gone through now today at this moment, it is Thursday, July 14th. The word normal now for you, what is normal? Man, that is a good question. That I've never really thought of it that way. Um, what is normal? Because we're all, we're all trying to attain it. We're all trying to yeah. get normal, yeah. whether we're civilians or veterans, whether we have mental health awareness, we have all these issues. And mental health does come from family. So I love that you discussed that because there is a root in there. But we're all in this in this rat race. We're all trying to be yeah. normal. So what is normal? I mean, I might not be able to answer it directly, but I just the way I could put it is like normal, normal. What's normal to me? Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know um, what is normal to me today is just am I being I don't know. That's a tough question. Mm-hmm. Just being normal, just just being who I am, I guess. Just normal is just being me not trying to be nothing different, not expecting to be something different, just normal. I live my life every day as the person who I am now. 
I don't know, man. That's a tough question. <laughs> I've never thought of it like that. What is normal to me? Man, I never get stuck on questions. That's tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good question. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to think really hard on that and I'm going to email you or I'm going to yeah. get back with you and I'm going to give you another defe- uh, definition about that. But I think normalcy is just what we believe it is. Like it's whatever it is to the, each individual. Mm-hmm. That's all I can think about is what's normal to you is different from me. You know, what's normal for me is different from that other veteran. So I think normalization is just, you know, cause we know what's what society says, right? Society says that's normal. Mm-hmm. This is normal, but it's really based on our own belief system. So I think to, for me to answer it now would just be whatever we feel is normal is normal mm-hmm. to us. Cause I hear so many, I have a great friend of mine. We did a podcast. He's a POW. Um, he was one that hit that rock bottom and he just didn't want to go anymore. And it was interesting because we met of all places on TikTok random. I used to go live constantly. And he had in his episode, he had parked his truck. He left a service animal behind, which is the love of his life. And um, he was married. He has kids. And it was all through a TikTok message of he had just sent me a final message. He left his phone down. And his neighbor saw the truck, saw my message, contacted me. I was on live. I'm like, I have to get off. And I was on the phone with police and SWAT for over two hours hearing the entire process. He was not able to do the actual, the, the suicide. He's like, I just, I didn't have it in me. I sat in a barn and I just, I wasn't brave enough and I didn't have the courage to do it. And then it was, okay, well, I'll do suicide by cop. If I can't do it, I'm going to have somebody else do it make some else do yeah it, and know. it's that crucial of understanding mental health as a whole is like you said it takes courage to do it but it takes even more courage to sit in that moment and question whether i'm done i've checked out but i don't want to go yet there's always that little bit of like yeah. i just can't go yet and it's yeah. talking like i said about mental health awareness there's nothing wrong with you. You are not broken when you get in that moment. It's just a part of the process. We don't have to be fixed. I tell people all the time, you're not broke. Mm-mm. We don't have to be fixed, right? We just, we just gotta, we just gotta kind of work on some things that we have an issue with or whatever, but you know, you're not broken. You know, we don't have to be put back together. You know, I want to address something really quick. You said, I've heard you say it a couple of times hitting rock bottom. Well, I made a, uh, you might've heard this before, but for years I've used this, um, this saying I like to say is, and I'll even, even being on the phone with somebody, right. They're like, dude, I'm just done. My life is over. Um, I've hit rock bottom and I'm like, well, congratulations. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean, dude? And I'm like, congratulations, bro. You just hit rock bottom. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, think about it, dude. You're at rock bottom. There's only one place left to go after that. And he goes, what? And I said, that's up. Because when you hit rock bottom, bro, you can't go no lower. Uh-huh. He thought about it. And I was like, there you go. And I was like, so now you're at rock bottom. So just climb up to the top, man. That's the only way to go. Uh-huh. So I like to use that a little saying with people. I like that. Um, another one I'll tell you, too, is that I've talked to people a lot. And, you know, one of the biggest things is people with kids and stuff. And they'll be like, oh, well, I love my kids and I'm willing to. You know, and I ask him, I said, well, you, especially if somebody's on the verge of suicide and I'll go, Hey man, I know you got children and I know you love them, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I do. I said, how much do you love them? And they're like, I love them with all my heart. Blah, 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 blah. I said, um, would you die for your kids? Oh, in a heartbeat. 
in a heartbeat. I said, then live for them. Mm-hmm. Then live for them. If you're willing to die for your kids, now live for your kids. And then a lot of times they'll take that and they'll 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 start saying, "Holy crap, man, you're right. I need to live for my children." You know, I always tell people, "You can't you can't do things for other people. You can't live for other people. You can't get better for other people, but you can use them as motivation, right? Mm-hmm. Like getting clean and sober, I can use my wife and my children and my family as motivation, but the true but 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 the true uh about it is I need to do it for myself. Like that's what really matters is doing it for me. Cause the first time I tried to get clean and sober, I did it for my family and it didn't work because I didn't really want it. But if you want it, you can make anything possible. So, And that's crucial because a lot of times people feel defeated of, I have done this so many times. I've, I mean, you hear it all the time. I've, I've been to so oh, many God. rehabs. What's another one good. It's not going to matter because I can't, right. I can't yeah. be fixed. And like you said, we're not broken. We're not gluing ourselves back together, <laughs> but no. it doesn't work for the mere fact that you have done it in the past for everyone else. You did it as a hail Mary moment of, if I don't do this, I'm going to lose like this. I'm going to lose my marriage. I'm going to lose seeing my children. I'm going to lose my current life of addiction. So I have to do this in order to get out of my scenario where I can just go backwards. So it's not going to work unless, like you said, unless you want it to work. And like I said, it's that transition period. It's ugly. It's nasty, but it's supposed to look ugly because you're getting rid of trauma and you're moving on to a different version of yourself. Like you'll never be normal You'll never, it's not a pill you can pop and you're going to just be this. Who's normal, right? Yeah. Are you normal? Am I normal? Like what is like, like it's what society sees as normal, but what is actually normal? Is there a normal? That's why I couldn't answer it because there's Mm -hmm. no such thing as a normal Mm -hmm. because there's not a normal. Normal is what we think is normal. (laughs) Yeah. And I think we look at, we look at normal, like you said, based on how we were raised. And everyone is raised different. So if you're raised with childhood trauma, or if you're raised in a very religious family, or if you're raised maybe by a single parent, everyone is raised different. So we all have different values and different morals. So I'm going to probably put that on this podcast, Facebook of what is your normal? And it's going to be interesting to get everyone's reactions to see what are, what are we in this rat race to achieve? Because we're all different, but that's what makes us better. And I love on your podcast that you said, I want to hear the struggle. Success is great and wonderful, but it's that process and that journey that got you there because it's not like once you get into recovery, it's just, oh, well, everything else is just perfection from here on out. Like it's the hard work and it's every day for all of us grind every day consistency you know there's how'd you get this and how do you do that well it wasn't given to me you know and it's funny but a lot of people look at you and they can look at you and they can say oh well you don't know what struggle is because look you got everything you got this you got a podcast you you look normal mm-hmm. right it's like you have no idea you mm-hmm. have no idea you know i i still get like that sometimes like i'll meet people in recovery like that would have been like maybe a crackhead or a drug addict like I was or an alcoholic. And they're very, you know, beautiful people. And it's like, Oh my God, bro. Like it's just so amazing to see the transformation of, of what they were to who they are. And I think people get caught up in that sometimes. And I'm like, Oh, that guy don't know what struggle is. Look, you mm-hmm. know, look what he's doing. Well, bro, you didn't see what I did to get here. Mm-hmm. You didn't see where I was before I got here. Like, it, it was a, it was a hell of a ride and it's been 10 years, you know, so, 
I didn't just pop up and make it happen. Like this has been a grind and I'm still not done. Like I'm nowhere near I want to be. I always say it's almost like a book. If you go to a store and somebody's like, this book is great. You have to read it. It's going to change your entire life. Do you know already from looking at the front of that book, everything that it has to offer? Absolutely not. You don't know until you read it. And when you start at the beginning, it's just kind of an intro, just kind of grab your attention. Once you're in the middle part, which is the life mm-hmm. that we're in right now, mm-hmm. that's the hard part. That's where you're like either super invested or you're just like, I kind of just want to put this down and I don't want to touch it again. But it's always you're interested in finding out what the end of the book looks like because you always know there's going to be something better at the very end. So I always tell this to everybody, keep going. It's not the end of the book. It's just the end of a chapter. Keep going. And then you choose what you're going to rewrite for the next one. Just keep going. I love that. It's, it's We're in charge of our of our chapters. We're writing our own book. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we write what we want to happen. And people just don't mm-hmm. understand that. They think that they're stuck or they think that, you know, the same mentality that I had. It's like, this is it. This is the cards that I'm dealt. This is This is my life. It's like, no, dude, mm-hmm. you can change it. You can change the path. If you, if you, if you really want to, you can change it. Before we close up this um, episode, I want to touch on for listeners that maybe have not come across your TikTok or they have not come across your Facebook. Um, I really want to advocate and push for what you're doing. Give us, give us a little snip about um, vet life. If no one's heard about it for listeners, what are you doing for the community? Like what is available and out there for everyone? So just a quick background vet life for life is my nonprofit now so when i told you the part of my story when it came out to to create a facebook group called vet life for life it was a place not for veterans it was for everybody i just you know a lot of things that i do kind of points towards veterans but i'm also very big on helping civilians you know leos mm-hmm. firefighters spouses all of that stuff so everybody's welcome um you can find the nonprofit group vet life for life on facebook but anyways, it was a group and I created it into a nonprofit about a year ago. Um, now, all the way back to 2019, one of the things that we're doing now is we do a 22K Ruck March every year. We've done three so far, um, which is amazing. Every year in South Carolina, Florence, South Carolina, we might, I think we're having another one this year in December. Um, that's one way we give back and raise awareness is we, you know, we walk 22 kilometers and we 14 miles and we, and people ask us, what are you doing? We're raising awareness, you know, veteran suicide, mental health. So that's something that we do. Um, vet life family is kind of like, so if you guys know my TikTok or you don't know, you're going to see vet life family. And what that is, is sort of like a branch off of vet life for life. Vet life for life is the nonprofit organization itself. Vet life family are the members are the people that are in, in the group per se. So I created a discord and I call it vet life family. So we have like a hundred members and it's so professional and it's so amazing that we have moderators and admins and we actually have different channels. So every day of the week, you know, we got Monday mental health and we got women's Thursday and we got recovery Friday and biblical stuff on Sunday. Like every day of the week, there's something that a person can go and get help with. So that's what we're doing as well. You can find that on, if you go to my Facebook or excuse me, if you go to my TikTok and you see the vet life family, you go to my bio, you can click the link and that'll take you to my discord. We even have a welcome center where you come in, you get vetted. And then once you're approved, you come in and you meet people. And we have teams. Now we have a team, B team, C team. Nobody goes alone in there. 
If you're struggling, somebody's going to hear you. We're going to give you a call. We're going to help you. We've raised in the last two months. And I'm just saying this was just something that we're doing is that a lot of times I do fundraisers on TikTok, And in the last two months, we've raised over $8,000 in just two months. We just raised $2,700 for um, a woman that was getting ready to be homeless. You know, and it wasn't even a veteran. It's, it's just somebody that was struggling. We raised $5,000 for a veteran and his service dog. So we do that stuff. We raise money. We give food. We bought groceries. You know, um, a lot of the gifts and stuff that I get from TikTok, I go and I buy groceries for somebody. You know, we do these things. So if you guys are interested in joining, find my TikTok um, mm-hmm. and just hit me up and we'll get you into the Discord. That's one of the things we're doing. That's Vet Life Family. And we work with all kinds of other organizations. Anybody that's a veteran organization, anybody like Vet Talk and different stuff. If they, you know, we all work together. We're not we're not in competition with anybody. I will make sure to put your TikTok name in the bio, and like I said, also for your Facebook page, so it makes it very easy for listeners that are listening right now to access that. Um, on the childhood trauma, because I always state everything that we go through goes back to something else. We can always route something in our struggles. And I always say on that episode that you can recover from all that's happened to you. So I'm going to probably in this podcast, play your little video um, from TikTok. So I'm going to put you on the spot for the very last time. Okay. And you're always this big motivator for everyone else. And I'm going to put your own words back on you. Okay. I need you to take your hand and put it on your back this time. Okay. And pat yourself on the back for everything that not only you are are recovering still from because it's never just one and done, but also to be proud of yourself. It's not just making everyone else proud, but it's making yourself proud for everything that you have done and are going to continue to do. It's crucial and amazing to see that someone has come out of some of the darkest times that anyone could ever imagine. And you're still sitting here today when you had the option to quit. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, what's going on? Listen, I need you to do something for me really fast. I just need you to take your hand and pat yourself on the back. Just pat yourself on the back for a minute and tell yourself and remind yourself that you're amazing. Remind yourself of how far you've come. Remind yourself that you've been through hell and look where you are. Just because other people don't acknowledge it, you need to make sure that you acknowledge it. Be proud of yourself and love yourself. Pat yourself on the back sometimes. Mm-hmm. So keep doing what you're doing, helping other people, because I always say I started this podcast to help others and give a platform for people to tell their stories and to feel heard. Um, but in all actuality, when we help others, we ultimately help ourselves, and we never even knew that we needed it. Absolutely. It's an outlet. It's an outlet mm-hmm. and it helps you mm-hmm. as it helps me. So mm-hmm. thank you. For sure. It, it's been good. So thank you. For being on, we'll have to have you on again. Um, we'll have to do a group with some other veteran communities. And for listeners, it's never too late. You're never too low to reach out. Um, you always know you can reach out to me on TikTok as well as now you can reach out with Sean and find that community because you can't recover and you can't get better all by yourself. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in with me and spending your time hanging out. Hopefully you enjoyed today's podcast and a special thank you to all our sponsors. Make sure to check them out. If you have any tips or topics, feel free to email me at littlebitoflifecast at gmail.com or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at littlecute1az. You never know if your topic will be next. Be sure to join me again for another episode of Little Bit of Life. Until next time, stay positive, stay blessed.